All right, welcome in episode 136 of the Hawk Reds podcast. I'm Travis Jernon. We're going to get going today, but first, Coach's Corner, our title sponsor here on the Hawk Reds podcast and the number one sports bar in all of Savannah. Check them out today. The TP is up. The TP is up and running strong ahead of the Braves National League Division Series with the Philadelphia Phillies. So go check them out on 3016 East Victory Drive or www.coaches.net. Go like the Facebook page. That's the best place to stay abreast of all the information over at Coach's Corner, the concerts, um, everything they're doing with the Braves and the TP, and help save one of our own, um, as well as all the menu and all that kind of stuff. You can call ahead your order, 912-352-2933. But like I said, go check them out on Facebook. The other shows on the Coach's Corner Sports Network, Rubbin' and Grubbin' with Brandon Bain, Wednesday nights at 6 p.m., right there on the Facebook page. Also archived on YouTube, Rubbin' and Grubbin'. Uh, you can find Carl Damasi on Saturday mornings, live from Coach's Corner, doing the local sports show, as well as Who Is On First Base baseball podcast with Carl and Kyle Lawson. I think I'll be up there Wednesday night as Brandon records Rubbin' and Grubbin'. Carl and Kyle are going to record Who Is On First Base um, at 7 p.m. The Braves play on Wednesday at 4 p.m., 4.30, I think. So it'll be right after the Braves get done. So come up there and, and check out the TP on Wednesday if you'd like. I'll be up there. Um, probably not doing any kind of content, but I'll be up there to support the guys and watch the back end of that Braves game. So check out Coach's Corner today. We're grateful that they're a sponsor. So they support us. You guys go support them. All right, let's get after it for a 136th time. Hot Grits Podcast. <laughs> I've always kind of believed in aliens. I don't know if I believe in flying saucers. You might as well just walk up to Cupid while he's on his lunch break, you know, cranking the heat or something. Yeah. Him right in the face. Punch a little baby right in. <laughs> we'll see that. We're almost uh, three minutes into our sports podcast and yet to bring up not one sport. Roll out. Come on, You over there. You over there. All right, welcome back. Episode 136 of the Hot Crits Podcast. We're going to get to the Braves. We talked with Mike Anthony a little later on in the episode to preview the National League Division Series uh, starting this week against the Phillies. The Braves and Phillies, Tuesday, uh, 1.07 p.m., Wednesday at 4.35 p.m., both those games on Fox. And then they'll have Thursday off before heading to Philadelphia for Game 3 on Friday. So I'm going to talk about all that with Mike. We're going to get the Phillies' perspective, a uh, little inside scoop on the Phillies and their fan base and what Phillies fans are thinking. But first, let's start with some college football. And we'll start with... Let's start with the NFL, because it's quick. Uh, Falcons lost 21-15 to uh, last week to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The... Uh, roughing the passer call heard around the world. Tom Brady sacked by Grady Jarrett, and the Falcons get absolutely boned by the call. Um, they're losing 21-15, to 15, the Falcons are, and that sack would have given them the ball back. So, like, if, if... And look, by now you've seen the sack. If you haven't, you should look it up. It's a brutal call. One of the worst calls I've seen in a long time. I think a lot of people have come out and said that. Like a lot of people that are smarter about the NFL than I am have said it, it was a brutal, terrible call. Um, and again, like it's not too far-fetched to say, one of the worst in recent memory. But the Falcons were still losing when that play happened. So like all the talk about the Falcons getting robbed of a win, like you're just assuming that the Falcon offense, which has been pretty bad, you're just assuming that the Falcon offense is going to go down, score, kick the extra point, and win the game. That's a lot to assume. But the call was still terrible. The Falcons lose. They're 2-3 uh, now with the 49ers coming into Atlanta next week. Uh, and then they'll get the Bengals on the road. So, look, the, it doesn't get any easier for the Falcons against the Buccaneers defense um, and against the 49ers defense, two of the best in the NFL. Um, and then the Bengals obviously aren't, are not a pushover. And the Falcons, like, like, they are pretty bad offensively when you watch them. 
But then you look at the numbers, and they're they have the most points in the in the division. They're the highest scoring offense in the NFC South. Again, like that division has been pretty weak thus far. Saints, Panthers after firing Matt Rule, um, Saints, Panthers, Buccaneers. Their offense has been eh. Um, but the Falcons, like who would have thought five games in that they'd be the leading scoring offense in that division? But that's the case right now. That's the case right now. So a terrible call on the Tom Brady sack. Like that call only gets made for Tom Brady. And it seems like it gets made once a year. Once a year, there's usually a bad roughing the passer call. And almost always, that quarterback is one Tom Brady. Maybe the ref, uh, Jerome Boger, maybe he felt bad for Brady's pending divorce. Maybe that was it. But... I guarantee those divorce proceedings were rougher than the Grady Jarrett sack. Yet a flag was still thrown, and the Falcons got screwed. I, I'm not going to say they got robbed, because again, they're losing 21-15. to 15. They'd still have to drive and score a touchdown and kick an extra point to win the game. So they didn't get robbed, but they got screwed on that play call. Um, Alright, let's move on. College football, Georgia with a dominating victory over Auburn. I told you guys there's nothing to worry about. The tougher the team, the better Georgia plays. I don't know if that's a good thing. But their three biggest wins this season have come against Oregon, South Carolina, and Auburn. And look, there's a chance that South, if South Carolina goes into Texas A&M this week and wins, that South Carolina blowout victory for Georgia is going to look even better. Because right now, the way it looks is that the games that we thought were going to be the toughest for Georgia, or at least that I thought, were right there, Kentucky and Florida. Those two games, I thought, were going to be the toughest games. Now it seems like, boy, it seems like Tennessee is the toughest game on the schedule right now. And then outside of that, maybe even Mississippi State. Because they're scoring a ton of points with their quarterback who looks exactly like Spencer. Look that up. Um, Stetson Bennett had his, uh, maybe his Heisman moment. If he goes home to win the Heisman, I think that's a long shot. In fact, he's plus 3,300 right now, Stetson Bennett is, to win the Heisman. But, boy, he took off and just absolutely gashed that Auburn secondary. When, when, you're, when your secondary players are getting lapped by Stetson Bennett, that tells you just how far Auburn has dropped. I don't know why Auburn is not playing Holden Gariner, the kid from BC, at quarterback. I don't understand that. Brian Harson is as good as fired. But to me, it's, I mean, they had no semblance of a passing game in that game on Saturday in Athens. I mean, they were terrible. Georgia, meanwhile, kind of a slow start, but they turned it on, and boy, did they ever. Um, Branson, big Branson, freshman, 98 yards and a tutty. Uh, Deshaun Edwards, Dejon Edwards, I still don't know how to pronounce this fucking guy's name. Dejon Edwards had 83 and three tutties. Georgia, 500 yards exactly of total offense. Um, I want to look ahead a little bit. I don't really want to preview the Vanderbilt game coming up this weekend for Georgia. Then they're on a bye week and then they get Florida. But first, Kirby Smart's press conference on Monday. This guy always delivers. Kirby always delivers. Um, so I'm going to let you hear two clips quickly, and just the frustration in Kirby's voice is so funny. The first question you'll hear uh, will be about Brock Bowers being triple covered. Kirby laughs that off. He finds that hilarious. And then a um, little transition noise, and you'll hear Roddy Nabulsi ask Kirby about the bye week. So let's let you hear Kirby's smarts comments on Monday. When you have a player as talented as Brock Bowers, how, as a coach, do you balance getting him the ball enough to make sure that he's consistently making an impact on this offense, but also not forcing him the ball where the opposing team knows he's going to get it and try and cover him up as triple coverage, as we saw on Saturday? Triple coverage? There was, there was a play where Stetson threw him the ball and looked like there were three guys running around him. 
Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I love you media guys, but if you think somebody's triple covering somebody, please send me video of that so I can see it. Because that means we got somebody else wide open. Okay. Now, he might have thrown it in the vicinity of somebody and they have broke on it. But there is no football player known to man that is going to draw triple coverage. Okay. That's just not going to happen because there's too many good players around them, especially at the level we're at. But it's hard to answer that question because I don't even think I've ever heard it. But I don't think we can force the ball to Brock. We have to have touches for Brock. And if you go back and chart our games, there's, there's when he touches the ball, usually good things happen. Also, what Brock does a really good job of is when he doesn't get the ball, go look at Kenny McIntosh's run. Go look at the, the frog play where we ran uh, Darnell and Brock on the perimeter for Kenny to set up a score. There's a lot of weapons that Brock does. And because Brock and Darnell are both really good uh, point of attack blockers, it makes them really good in the play action as well. We won't get to ask you next week because you got a bye week. What is your priority for the bye week coming up after Randy? I hadn't even thought about the bye week, Brody. I mean, I'm, I'm concerned with uh, Vandy and getting our team better. Uh, to look at the bye week right now would be, you know, would be dishonorable to Vandy. I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest. This is a good football team. I just told you all they're one of the most improved football teams, and we respect and value that in our organization, how their kids will play and how they played last weekend. So there's a feisty Kirby Smart in the press conference on Monday. Um, Georgia now. Kirby won't look ahead, but I'll look ahead. Tennessee plays Alabama this weekend, and I expect Alabama to win that game. Although I saw it was like a 15-point spread, 14-point spread. That's crazy. That's crazy. I'm assuming Bryce Young back for that game against Tennessee, and if he is, I think Alabama rolls. If he's not, then obviously give me... Tennessee, but like it's not like you're going to know who's starting at quarterback for Alabama. The whole week, including the moments leading up to that Alabama A&M game, Bryce Young was announced as the starting quarterback, even in the press box, even right before kickoff. Bryce Young is announced as the starting quarterback. He was never going to play in that game because, look, Alabama struggled, and they were a play away from losing that football game or from it at least going into overtime, and even still, Bryce Young never came in. So they're obviously, I don't know how you want to view the Heisman Trophy, but if it's an MVP award, then Bryce Young not playing on Saturday might have won him the award because it just showed you how vital he is to that team. Like, they become kind of a normal football team without him. And Georgia this week moved back to number one. It's the first time since 2009 that a team has gone from number one to number two, back to number one in a three-week span. So Georgia was number one. Last week, they moved to number two. And then week three, this week, they moved back to number one. That's the first time it's happened since Florida did it in 09. So that's pretty historical. Alabama's still number one in the coaches' poll because the coaches don't watch college football outside of their team and outside of who they're playing next. The coaches' poll is the worst indicator of who the best teams in the country are. So say what you want about the AP poll. At least the media gets it more right than the coaches. The coaches poll is just dumb as shit. And for what it's worth, if we're going off of what teams are doing so far in the season, then Ohio State's the number one team in the country. They are beating the hell out of people. Now they're beating the hell out of Big Ten teams. Bunch of nobodies. But still, they look really, really good. Um, and today, as I record this, like I'm not sure that Tennessee is not the fourth best team in the country. I don't know that I wouldn't put them above Michigan. So that's going to be a really interesting game this week, Tennessee and Alabama. If Tennessee loses that game and Georgia beats Vanderbilt, which I expect both of those things to happen, Georgia will be one game back from Tennessee in, the, in terms of all-time wins. All-time college football wins. Georgia right now, 859. Tennessee, 861. So I talked about it a couple weeks ago. There's a real shot that Georgia could tie Tennessee or surpass Tennessee when they meet uh, later on in the season. When they meet, shit, I guess it's a month. A month from now, when Georgia and Tennessee meet, it could very well, you know, and I don't know how much people care about that, but to me, that's, that's pretty cool for Georgia to be it. Because right now, Georgia's number 11 
all time in college football wins, 859. Tennessee's number 9. Or number 10, I don't remember. But there are only two games up on Georgia. And that could happen when the two play each other. If Georgia beats Tennessee, they could tie or move ahead of them. And certainly move into the top 10 all time in wins. Um, I think, I don't know how many people would care about this, but um, Monday night, Rocco Griffin, the running back at Vanderbilt from Savannah, from Calvary Day, um, I think he graduated from South Effingham. But he played most of his high school career at Calvary, went to Vanderbilt. He announced that he's in the transfer portal. Um, and I know he had an offer from Georgia Southern coming out of high school. So I wonder if that's if he wants to get closer to home, if that's something to be watching if you're a Georgia Southern fan. Uh, something that Georgia Southern fans wish they weren't watching was the game on Saturday against Georgia State when Georgia State won 41-33. to Georgia Southern with five turnovers. Five turnovers in that game. Let's hear what Clay Helton had to say in his opening statement uh, about on Monday in Statesboro. This is Clay Helton talking about the Georgia State game, and then he briefly looks ahead to the James Madison game this weekend. With the quality of this league and the quality of schedule that uh, we knew we were uh, having this year, uh, we knew we were going to have a lot of fourth, you know, fourth quarter close games, and we've kind of lived in that realm. Uh, and when we've played really good football and not shot ourselves in the foot, we come out on the winning end. And then when you play a game where you have five turnovers uh, and have some self-inflicted runes, uh, those are the games you're going to lose in the fourth quarter, and that was the case here. Uh, you know, I don't think you can win any game in this league turning the ball over five times. Uh, you know, credit to our kids. I thought they put us back in a position uh, to be able to get a one-score game uh, in the fourth quarter and had the ball twice in our hands offensively and weren't able to make the plays down the stretch uh, to uh, to win the game and, and to win a conference game. Um, I, I do see our young players getting better and better and better each and every week, um, and we continue to progress, uh, I think, as a football team. Uh, we got a great opportunity this week. It's great to be back in Paulson, a top 25 team coming in with James Madison, uh, family weekend. Should be an exciting time uh, here uh, in Statesboro and really looking forward to the opportunity. All right, so there's Clay Helton, and you can hear him say, look, if you turn it over five times, it really could have been six. Kyle Van Treese was pretty bad. Four interceptions in the game for KVT. Five turnovers in total for Georgia Southern, including the killer, I think it was Caleb Hood. I don't remember who it was. It might have been Burgess. I don't remember who it was, but somebody fumbled there at the end of the game for Georgia Southern, and that ended up being the killer for them. But five turnovers in the game, and they still lost by one possession. Georgia Southern did. So that's three straight losses now to Georgia State. Got to get that turned around. Like That is more important than other football games. The Georgia State and Appalachian State games mean more. You can't have three-game losing streaks to Georgia State. You can't have that. And then when Georgia State wants to talk shit, what is Georgia Southern going to say to them? Nothing. You can't say anything. You, you have lost three times in a row. You've lost in Statesboro, you've lost in Atlanta, you've lost low-scoring games, high-scoring games. You were beating them in Statesboro a couple years ago, then you lost it. I mean, like, that was objectively bad. I thought Georgia Southern would win that game, and now they're all of a sudden in a real jam. Because they get Jimmy Madison this week, number 25 undefeated James Madison, this week at 4 p.m. in Paulson Stadium, JMU's a nine-point favorite in their first FBS season. How about this? Jimmy Madison, the Dukes, they're the number one offense in the Sun Belt. They also have the number one defense in the Sun Belt. That's pretty fucking good. That's pretty good. Their quarterback has been ultra-efficient. Todd Sintio is the transfer from Colorado State. He's got 15 tutties and one interception on the season. They have a really, really nice receiver in Chris Thornton. Chris with a K, not a fan of that. But Chris Thornton, 32 receptions, 516 yards for five touchdowns. This is a huge game for Georgia Southern. Like I don't know if they're going to win, but I know this, that Georgia Southern had better win at least two 
Two of the next four, James Madison at Old Dominion, home against South Alabama at Louisiana. You better be at five wins. You better be at five wins before Marshall and Appalachian State at home the last two weeks of the season. If you want to make a bowl game, like I would even go so far as to say that they need to win two of the next three because at Louisiana is going to be tough. South Alabama's pretty good this year. And ODU's no pushover, but playing at Old Dominion shouldn't be like a raucous environment. So I think they'll do fine there, but then you get the bye week, and then you get South Alabama at home. So James Madison at Old Dominion, South Alabama at home. If they can win two of those next three, they're in a good spot to make a bowl game. And I think right now that's Georgia Southern's goal. They're 0-2 in the conference. I think the goal should be get to six wins, make a bowl game. Get to six wins, make a bowl game, and, and it is a successful season by any metric. Now, they're probably going to lose to App State, although App State lost in San Marcos to Texas State this past weekend. That was one of those results where you're like, what the hell is going on? I don't think Georgia Southern can expect to be at App State, but the season would still be a success if they get six wins and make a bowl game. The only... You know, black eye is to lose to Georgia State and App State in the same season. That's about as shitty as it gets for a Georgia Southern fan. But to do that in back-to-back seasons, even worse. Back-to-back-to-back seasons. Losing to their rivals. So I think, if, if I'm correct here, I think Georgia Southern has lost six in a row at least five in a row, to their two biggest rivals, Georgia State and App State. But still, all that being said, if Georgia Southern can knock off James Madison this weekend, that would be incredible. The number one scoring offense in the Sun Belt, number one scoring defense in the Sun Belt, and the number 25 ranked team in the country. Pretty nuts. I think it's safe to say Georgia Southern's defense is going to be terrible all season. But it really, 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 really gets exaggerated when the offense has five turnovers. When Georgia State's running the ball 55 times in one game against Georgia Southern. Because you start turning the ball over and you're going at such a rapid pace, your defense is on the field forever. Georgia Southern still running 79 plays per game. Pretty, pretty wild stuff to think that that offense is running at that pace. Um, one more clip from Clay Helton, and then we'll move on. Uh, this I thought was interesting. Nathan Dominitz on Monday of the Savannah Morning News, Nathan asked Clay Helton about the recent trend of coaches being fired earlier in the season, something Clay Helton would know a lot about. Here's the question from Nate Dominance and the response from Clay Helton. I thought this was interesting. Coach, I'm going to depart from James Madison just for a second. Mm-hmm. Can you shed, uh, share some your thoughts about, I don't know if it's a trend or a strategy to replace a coach earlier in the season rather than maybe inevitably firing him at the end of the season? Matt Rule was fired today for the Carolina Panthers. Now they're talking about him being in line for major college jobs like Nebraska, Arizona State, and Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And uh, based on your experience last year, and I know you've commented about how Kyle Marrero and Jared Binko mm-hmm. did a smart thing mm-hmm. to uh, search during the season rather than being more mm-hmm. traditional or conservative in that yeah. approach. You talk about how is, is this a trend in college football, specifically maybe yeah. the Wisconsin job yeah. was kind of surprising to a lot of people. Yeah, we've seen it be a trend, you know, and um, it's, it's, you know, we've always as college coaches understand that we're in a very high risk business, uh, maybe the most high risk, uh, you know, where you're just trying to fight for another 24 hours and uh, each and every day. And that's the reality of what college football is. You know, the fact of the matter is um, we're in an entertainment business, uh, a production business, and, you know, we're well compensated for it. 
and we all understand as coaches. I understood it at USC, the expectation and the standard. Um, I think we all understand that, you know, and it has become a trend that coaches are being let go earlier uh, in the season and where administrators can go find their next choice. I'm an example of that being hired in November. Um, and so um, I, I think as we all, coaches have always been routine-based creatures and being focused on the now and doing our job within the now. And we understand. Yeah, we, we're all smart guys. We understand the repercussions of if you don't produce uh, at this level, both in in high level college as well as as well as the NFL. That's that's the seat that we chose. And if you don't like it, you know, don't take the job. All right. So there you have it. That's Clay Helton talking about the trend. And I, I love that about him. I love that about Helton. That he'll answer sort of not off the wall questions, but questions that aren't exactly about this week, but just kind of bigger picture questions like that. And, and I like what he says about how this is what you sign up for if you're a coach. Part of it. That's part of it. All right, we'll get you guys right back to the episode. First, let me tell you guys about John Carr Real Estate. John Carr is the number one real estate agent in Savannah, and he's been our segment sponsor for a while now. We support him. You guys should if you want to buy real estate in the savannah area if you want to sell it or just learn more about the market johnny is your guy give him a call 912-228-0916 tell him the hot grits podcast sent you and he will hook it up 912-228-0916 john carr real estate on facebook instagram and twitter All right, let's talk Savannah State quickly uh, before we move on. If we're going to talk shit about Savannah State when they lose to Kentucky State, a terrible team, which that happened, we got to give them props when they beat teams. But I don't know that Savannah State on Saturday, homecoming Saturday at Ted Wright, they won 28-14, to but I don't know that they beat a real team. I'm not sure that Virginia University of Lynchburg qualifies as a real team. Virginia University of Lynchburg is a part of the NCCAA, which I did not know existed, folks. The National Christian College Athletic Association, which is, the way I understand it, lower, a lower tier than NAIA. We know how Savannah State does against NAIA teams. They don't do well. Just go look at week one for that. To put in perspective what Virginia University of Lynchburg is, let me tell you what happened the last time Savannah State played them. Again, they won 28-14 to on Saturday. They were losing that game at one point, 7 to nothing. They're 0-6 right now, Virginia University of Lynchburg. In 2019, when Savannah State played VUL, they won 60-21 to and they had 534 total yards of offense. On Saturday, Savannah State beat them by 14 points. The Dragons, the 0-6 Dragons. And VUL outgained Savannah State 294-268. to 268. So, look. They won. Okay. They're 3-3. Three and three. They're 2-2 two and two in the SEAC. They have four SEAC games to go. And I don't know that they're going to win another game. They're at Clark Atlanta this week, 2 p.m. game, and then home against Albany State. Albany State is going to kick the shit out of Savannah State. But at least they won. They're 3-3, 28-14. Three and three, and 14. That's three more wins than Aaron Kelton had in his whole coaching career before this season. So props to Savannah State for a gigantic homecoming win against the Dragons of Virginia University of Lynchburg. All right, let's talk a little high school football before we wrap things up. Here, and then we'll get you guys to my, inter- my conversation with Mike Anthony where we talk all about the National League Division Series. Mike's Phillies versus our Atlanta Braves, your Atlanta Braves, the reigning World Series champs. But first, high school football. You guys know every week when I talk high school football, I'm doing so because of PrepSportsReport.com, a segment sponsor here on the Hot Grits Podcast. Free information uh, on PrepSportsReport.com, all about local sports, all about high school sports. 
Um, I do a lot of writing for them during football season. It's run by Carl Damasi and uh, Stephen Weeks. So, look, if you're interested in local Savannah sports, this is the best website to go to, prepsportsreport.com, because it's 100% free, no pop-up ads, no trial offers, no subscriptions, none of that. So check out prepsportsreport.com, as well as Prep Sports Report on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, all right. High school football this week, news and notes. Uh, last week, I covered New Hampstead versus Southeast Bullock at Pooler Stadium on Friday. Uh, it was a complete ref show, an absolute ref show. Over 30 flags were thrown in that football game. Uh, it lasted three hours and one minute, which is absolutely nuts. Absolutely nuts. Uh, there was one play at the end of the fourth or in the middle of the fourth quarter where a running play took exactly one second. Took one second, which is not possible. Wasn't true. So the refs from the refs on the field to the refs in the press box uh, had a bad night. They just had an objectively bad night. Uh, and so I wanted, to got, I wanted to at least just get that off my chest. 30 flags in a game. Now, there weren't 30 accepted penalties, but there were 30 flags thrown. That's too many flags. Okay, that's stop calling holding on every play. If it's a false start, if it's a face mask, pass interference, if it's a personal foul, all that kind of stuff, I get you have to throw the flag. Holding does not need to be one of the 30 flags thrown. They certainly don't need to be, I think there were 12 holding penalties called in the game. That's too many. Get out of the way and let the players play. I hate a ref show. My first ref show this year, I think. Um, BC won Thursday night. They beat number previously number five, Burke County. Previously undefeated Burke County. Um, and they did it handily. I think the final was 28-3. to It was something like that. The, BC dominated that football game. And I wanted to share a stat with you from coming out of that game. Since the start of 2013, in region games, now it's been different regions that BC has played in since 2013, but in region regular season games, since 2013, BC is 55 and 2. They're 55 and 2 in their last 57 region regular season games. So, all the talk about Danny Brett and the non region schedule and how it toughens them up. For the region, like the proof is in the pudding, folks. That shit works, I guess. 55 and 2. That's a crazy number. Crazy number. Um, Calvary beat the hell out of Groves. Groves is terrible. Calvary's really good. They're number three in the state in class 3A. Um, BC, by the way, moved up one spot. They're number five in the AJC's class 4A rankings. Jake Merklinger, Calvary's quarterback, was 8 of 9 passing in that game versus Groves. Half of his completions went for a touchdown, and he only played one half. Half of his completions went for touchdowns. That's stupid. Uh, Calvary and Johnson play this week at Calvary. That's where I'll be. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it because Johnson lost last week against Savannah Christian, but they lost 14 to 6, and they didn't give up a point after the first quarter. They also were without their best player, best running back for sure, Samari Dowdy in the second half. He got hurt and had to come out. So that's all I wanted from Johnson was to show me that they're in the class of Calvary and Savannah Christian. Like as Calvary's obviously better than Savannah Christian. They beat them. But I like if Johnson were to go out and get throttled by Savannah Christian last week, if that were to have happened, then I wouldn't be looking at the Calvary Johnson game at all this week. I wouldn't be looking at that at all. But since they did show up and they did fight and they were within one possession of, of you know sending that game to overtime, I'm excited to see Johnson at Calvary this week. It's the fifth all-time meeting between the two. Johnson's never won. They've also never scored more than 12 points. They've also never scored more than 12 points against Calvary. Um, Calvary's been ranked all five times that Johnson's had to play them. So that's this Friday, October 14th at Calvary. Um, I'll be there, but you can check out prepsportsreport.com for um, for that game story either late Friday night or early Saturday morning. 
Uh, all right, before we go to Mike Anthony, my Savannah Six, top six teams in the Savannah area. Number six, Johnson. Number five, Evingham County. Evingham County has won five in a row. They're five and two overall. Uh, so number six, Johnson. Five, Evingham County. Number four, New Hampshire. New Hampshire is at number nine, Wayne County this week. Number nine in the state, Wayne County is. I think New Hampshire goes to Jessup and wins that football game. Uh, so that's my bold prediction for this week. Um, so New Hampshire at number four. They're at five and one. Savannah Christian stays at number three, six and one. Number two, Benedictine, four and two. And then number one, Calvary at five and zero. Oh. So Calvary, BC, Savannah Christian, New Hampshire, Evingham County, Johnson. That's my top six for this week. All right, let's get uh, to my interview with Mike Anthony. Before we do that, I want to tell you guys about Sweet Potatoes Kitchen, a segment sponsor here on the Hot Grits Podcast. Steve Magulius and Sweet Potatoes have been doing it right for a long time now on the south side of Savannah. 531 Stevenson Avenue, or you can call ahead your order, 912-352-3434. 912-352-3434. Uh, just open for lunch on Mondays, 11 to 3 p.m. And then Tuesday through Saturday, 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. So 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. Tuesday through Saturday, that's lunch and dinner. You can check them out at 531 Stevenson Avenue, also on Facebook and Instagram. Sweet Potatoes Kitchen, the number one spot on Savannah's Southside for lunch and dinner. Uh, Thank you to Steve and Sweet Potatoes for supporting us here on the podcast. So you guys go support Sweet Potatoes. All right, let's get to my conversation now with Mike Anthony. We'll preview Braves and Phillies in the National League Division Series. All right, the moment you guys have all been waiting for, the, the NLDS that we all predicted when the season started, Michael Anthony's Phillies versus your defending world champion, Atlanta Braves. Mike, I'll let you start first. Let's start with predictions, and then we'll break down why. Give me a prediction, best of five series starting Tuesday, Braves-Phillies. Who do you like and how many games? Oh, I mean, first I was going to say anxiety, heavy drinking, yelling at family members and friends, but you're talking about Phillies predictions. Okay? Right, right, right. Um, uh, prediction, uh, can I give it to you in two, maybe three parts? Sure, if you want to hedge, that's cool. Yeah, um, if Ranger Suarez is somehow drinking whatever Wheeler and Nola were in St. Louis and gets a win in the first game, I'm still going to say Braves in five. Uh, If not, if the Braves win the first one, I say Braves in four. Um, If the Phillies offense just wakes up like they have at times, but haven't for over a month, then, I mean, they can – the Braves have a great offense. I think the Phillies can overpower anyone if their offense really lights up. But I would say the the most likely outcomes in order, Braves in five, Braves in four, Phillies in four. Yeah, I like Braves in four, um, but like I, I don't want that to come off as like a slight to the Phillies. I think the Phillies and what they've done under Thompson since, since. I mean, there's not a slight at this point. Everybody is yeah. where they are because they won. Yeah, that's true. I think, um, dude, I was surprised when I heard this. There's going to be a postseason game in Philadelphia, regardless of how the series goes. But game yeah. three, game three on Friday, first postseason game in Philadelphia since. Do you know what the last postseason game in Philly? For baseball? Yeah. October 7th, 2011. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You knew the exact date and everything. I was just looking for the year, but you you nailed it. Well, I mean, I, I have the obituary of Ryan Howard's Achilles tendon pulled up on my tabs. So. Yeah, who would have thought that that Ryan Howard would become – the second most well-known Ryan Howard after Ryan Howard from the office. <laughs> Who would have thought? Um, uh, okay, Mike. So let's start with this Atlanta 11 and eight versus Philly this season. Like do with that what you will first postseason meeting between the two since ni- the 1993 in LCS. Um, I, I what'd you say? How'd that one go? The Phillies won that one. The Phillies won that one. Um, congrats on that win. Uh, Freed versus Suarez, game one, 1.07 p.m. 
Do you want to talk about game times at all, Mike? Because the first two games are day games, and I know a lot of a lot of old guys are pissed about this. But it seems yeah. to me that it's like this every year. Like, I mean, do do you want me to do you want me to be the? Uh, no, I want you to give me your honest take. Do you care what time I the game starts? Have an issue. Like, do you What's care? That? Do you care at all what time the game starts? I mean, only in that you know I'm gonna have to devise ways to disguise what and where I'm working on things. Right. But you know, this is not major league bias. Just look at look at where the games are. You've got half the uh series starting out in the West for the same reason that, you know, the the Braves, if they would have been in the wild card, they would have been headlining every game. Like Major yeah. League Baseball hated the fact that there were only two series that were being played in the wild card round that weren't in the Eastern time zone. So you had to put like Cleveland and St. Louis. Nobody wanted the Cardinals and the Phillies in prime time, but that's what you got because that was as West as you could go. So, you know, it's not a slight, it's just how the math works. Like if you got, it's not an issue with Rob Manford. It's an issue with uh, uh, time zones. Take it up with Greenwich in their meantime. Yeah, I agree with you. Like I'm, I'm over the like, complaining about the 107 and 435 game times it's it's just a matter of geography all start at eight o'clock and you have to like four box it like you do watch an nfl red zone exactly dude and the thing is that 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 i i've even heard this before um i don't know if this was this year or last postseason but uh how major league baseball is concerned with growing the game and, and getting young people excited about baseball again but this hurts that ability because kids are in school it's like dude if a kid wants to watch a major league baseball playoff game and i don't mean like if she wants to if she can sneak it out of her book bag she can watch that game live exactly dude like that none of that shit matters and and also it just goes back to what you said about geography to the principal's office and i have to come pick her up because of that She's gonna get like a hefty increase in her allowance. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just geography, dude. Like Houston is not gonna; they're in a different time zone. They're not; they're they're playing right. at three forty. Yeah, you gonna make the Dodgers play a nine a.m. game just so somebody in the East can play at eight at night? Yeah, I would rather have had instead of four games on Tuesday. I wish there was a way they could have played one or two of like started one of the series on Monday. You know? But if you really want to take uh, into account the logistics of it and the dance that baseball has to do around football to try to increase ratings, you can see exactly what they do. They try to stack it on you know the, the Tuesdays and the Wednesdays to be all baseball all day, and then you're going to get like the one primetime game on a Saturday and a Sunday when they're having to compete with college football and NFL. Like that's it's all about the money. It's it's how can they get the most dollars into the most streaming or network partners at any time during any given day. And that's how you get the schedule. Yeah. And I guess it's worth noting. Because people like team X better than team Y. Agreed. Yeah. It's not like some sort of bias. Right. I mean, it's not like, Oh no, I totally agree. Yeah. So we're on the same page on that. Um, yeah, the, the world series is going to go off on the same dates at the same times, whether it's, New York versus LA or Philadelphia versus uh, Cleveland, you know? Yep. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, look, I think it's worth noting that both of both Atlanta and Philadelphia have been pretty bad in day games this year. Again, take this for what you want. Uh, both of them three games under 500, Atlanta 24 and 27, Philadelphia 25 and 28. Um, so I like, let's not break down game time percentages, but um, let me ask you this, Mike. For Braves fans, you you watch the Phillies. Uh, I think it's safe to say regularly. What? Who is the hottest player batter on the Phillies right now, and who's the coldest batter on the Phillies? Um, let's see. If we had to go uh, just overall, hottest batter is probably going to be Alec Mohm. He hits for the best average. Not not a bunch of power. He's not going to take you deep. Like he's not the guy that you have to worry about. You know having one swing that ruins a game. Yeah. But he is a guy that if you're, you know, if you've got first and third with one out, he's probably the worst guy that you want to see up. 
because they've got a lot of guys that are big swing but big miss. He he's probably the best for situational hitting. If you're an old hat that uh loves to see hitting behind the runner, he's the guy that can do that. Or if you give him a cookie, he could take it into the gap or maybe even over a wall. Um, if you're talking about in terms of clutch, uh, you know, for my money, JT Real Muto, like he's not the NL MVP, but if you were going second half MVP and just judging on that, he'd be right up there. Not only for hosing people on the bases, but he uh, he's hit for more power, better average, better in the clutch. He's he's a guy that's come through time and time again. And then, uh, you know, you've always got guys like uh, Harper who – he only had three home runs after coming back from that broken thumb, but that was in the uh, regular season and looked like his power was sapped, looked like he was going opposite field. All three of those home runs were opposite field. And then I don't know if you saw what he did to that curveball on Saturday night. I did. I mean, that that's not the uh, that's not a lucky swing from an unhealthy guy. That's someone who's ready to hit bombs. He also in that in that game one comeback in the ninth inning against Ryan Helsley, who who was like really good this season for the Cardinals. Um, Harper, like people forget that he worked like a really, really good at bat. I think it was a 10 pitch at oh, bat yeah. for a walk. Now look, they, the Phillies ended up scoring like six. How many runs did they score in the ninth? Yeah, six. But, and I was going to say that's where, that's where the Phillies and the Braves to me, their offenses are so similar in that they've got seven guys that can just take you over the wall without thinking about it. Yeah. But at the same time, at least five or six of those seven guys are just as comfortable working a an eight pitch walk and being fine with that, and that's what makes both of them so dangerous. Yeah, they're, and they're just like good, um, like good diversity in the lineup. Like there's guys, yeah. there's guys like Cassianos and Olson who you can, I mean, you can almost pencil in that they're going to have a good at bat regardless of the outcome. Like it's not going to be a yeah. one pitch rollover. Um, and then, dude, Real Muto is so good. And he posts every day. He shows up every day, uh, and never. He's just seemingly never goes through like it, like a one for twenty, or one for thirty. Like he just never slumps. I feel like. And and even when he didn't have the power, even when he was slumping a little bit, I mean, you want to talk about like a a a point seven pop time? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, that that makes up, that makes up for a week of whiffing. Yeah, I don't know that like. Well, I don't know how I want to how best to go about it, but I, I guess let's start with because by the time the listener hears this, the Braves and Phillies are either about to start game one or, or already have finished game one. So I don't want to break it down game by game. But let's start with this. Like as a Phillies fan, Suarez, Wheeler, Nola, do you are those three guys like equal to Phillies fans, like in Phillies fans' minds, or is there like a uh, you know, a pecking order when it comes to those three starters. Because I mean, to me, Suarez, I still think Zach Wheeler and Aaron Noah, like, I know Ranger Suarez has been good, but he's not a name brand, and he's certainly not a guy that, like, terrifies you the way, even the way, right. like, Syndergaard might, like, just the name alone. So so how how do Phillies fans view, view that rotation? It, well, first off, Suarez, I mean, unless he just has a subpar outing, he's got – better stuff than Syndergaard right now. So the name comparison kind of goes out the window there. Yeah. Um, Suarez, if that division or the wildcard series with the Cardinals had gone to three games, Suarez had been uh, penciled down, even penned down. Like it wasn't going to be anybody different. He was going to go in game three. So uh, the Phillies are dead set on who their one, two, three are. Um, Now Suarez, like, you know, you can just go look at the box scores against the Braves. I was personally at one where they got to him. He didn't have his best stuff. They didn't light him up, but they, you know, got four runs off of him and five innings and just worked him and got to the bullpen and did the things that you're supposed to do to work a win out of somebody. Um, But he's also gotten better in the second half. Uh, He's not dominant, but he's one of those guys that, you know, you you play baseball like me. You you ever have one of those comfortable 0 for 4s? where everything looks hittable, but you just can't barrel it. Oh, Mike, I had so many comfortable over fours. Like that's if, – if Suarez is on, that's what he does. He's not going to strike out 10. He's not going to have people arguing fringe calls on the edge of the plate. 
he's going to have people just swinging just over or just under everything. And that's what he needs. He needs contact. He'll strike out four guys. But uh, if he's on, it's going to be weak ground balls, weak pop-ups. If he's off, you know, the Braves, obviously, uh, they've shown that they can do it to the best of them. They can they can launch it. Yeah, and I think that the game one is so important because Suarez being a lefty, the Braves have been really, really good against lefties. Like they, The Braves have been good against everyone all year, but – but against I mean, lefty, seventy-seven and thirty-three in their last uh, hundred and ten. So <laughs> yeah, that's decent, I think that right? qualifies as pretty good. Yeah, um, but they're look. They are seventeen point. They're hitting for seventeen points higher average against lefties. They're getting on base thirty-eight or thirty-eight points um, more against lefties, and then they're slugging twenty points more against lefties. And then the OPS against lefties is seven eighty-two versus 753 righty. So I think that like it's pretty obvious the Braves are better against lefties. Um, but I don't know, you know, in the playoffs, dude, it's just like if Suarez gets into any kind of trouble, he's getting pulled. Just like if Max Fried gets into any kind of trouble, he's probably getting pulled. It's a short and, series. It's a three out of five. Yeah. And um, I think that's where you see that second name come in. Um, you know, they they the Phillies intentionally kept Bailey Falter, who's also left-handed and who I think had a pretty good outing against the Braves uh, last time he faced Yeah, he did. They they kept him off the wild card roster just because they knew that they weren't going to use him in a three-game series. And if it had gone three games, he was going to be the game one starter against Atlanta. But I also think that you don't see him if Ranger gets in trouble just because you've got a guy who's right-handed like Syndergaard who can go you know three or four innings and maybe carry you if you're still in the game or even just carry you to save the bullpen to live to fight another day. So if I had to take a wild guess, I think that's what you're looking at for the Phillies in game one is Suarez. Hopefully he's got the same voodoo magic that uh, Wheeler and Nola found again in St. Louis. But if not, I think Syndergaard might be your next guy in. And I think game two is going to be Kyle Wright versus Zach Wheeler. Like I'm pretty confident about that yeah i mean i know wheeler's going for the phillies and yeah he's gonna and go as far as he can go and but, i mean the, all pretty the positive rights going for atlanta yeah, all the restraints are off for wheeler and nola they're gonna go as far as they can go yeah um wheeler to me just as a brace fan like wheeler is the name like i know nola's track record i know that nola is solid but he's the guy that to, wheeler's the guy to me that has the ability to go to just light up and go eight innings five hits like, yeah He's the guy. I, I was a Braves fan. You know, they're probably scared of Nola because he's had some absolute gems against them. Yeah. And, and when he's on, he can do that against anybody. But Wheeler tends to do it more often than that. And, you know, when he's throwing 99 on the paint and then throwing a 95 slider at you, there's not a lot you can do. Uh, yeah, agreed. Uh, I think, I so think, not that the Braves don't have guys that can do the same, but. Yeah, well, look, the Braves, it's like you said earlier, the Braves and Phillies, are whoever hits the most home runs is going to win this series. And now that, I guess that's that, kind yeah. of obvious. But. It, it, I don't know if I'm jumping your synopsis here, but if, yeah, if there was a key, that would be my key, is both teams are going to get some big hacks. It's who can do it with people on base and what team can prevent people on base when they inevitably, inevitably do give up that one cookie over the middle that someone's going to get. Yeah, and I think what what hurt the Cardinals in that series against the Phillies, and the Phillies played well, obviously. What hurt the Cardinals was that first game. Uh, they have it essentially what they what they think is wrapped up that game one, and they and they use their bullpen and their their pitching in that manner, and so it kind of screwed them. In the well, next, I mean, game. their their closer couldn't throw a strike. Yeah, but I, you know what I mean. Like if if if. If you're gonna lose a postseason game, you want to lose it twenty to nothing. So right, so you'd you almost throw, be better off leaving them in to give up the runs and save everybody else. Yeah, instead yeah. of just throwing all of your top tier guys and still walking out with a loss. That to me is. But, the, but it's hard to. But it's hard to have that logic when you've got a two nothing lead of with one out and nobody on in the ninth. Of course, but but the thing is, the difference I think in the Braves and the Phillies is that. The Braves have arms that if the Braves are down two or down one in the sixth or seventh, they have. I think the Braves have better bullpen arms. Even like let's eliminate the top three bullpen arms for both sides. 
from that yeah, point on, yeah, I think it's yeah. pretty clear the Braves have the advantage I, there. I, I think that's fair. I think that if you want to go seven, eight, nine, that they're pretty much even. But after that, I would agree that like if say that there's a, a rain delay and both starters come out after the third, then yeah, advantage Braves. Uh, I'm interested to see what happens with Spencer Strider. He like we're recording this Monday night, and there's still no official word on, on whether or not he's on the roster. I could imagine, but but look, it's been almost a month since he's pitched, and so I could I could envision a scenario where the Braves go Freed and Wright games one and two, but that they use Strider in at least one of those first two games, um, and then you know hopefully for the Braves' sake, either game five or you know, early in the NLCS that you can pitch him as a starter because I don't know if the Braves want to just throw Spencer Strider out there to start after not pitching at all for almost a month, you know? Oh, I, I totally agree. And honestly, you know, he doesn't have the stuff that Strider does. He doesn't have the record Strider does, but the Phillies are in a similar situation right now. The guy that closed out both the games in St. Louis was Zach Eflin and beginning the season, he was their number three guy. And he didn't pitch poorly, but he's had chronic knee issues the last two, maybe three years. And it shut him down for about three months. And, you know, his arm's been fine. His stuff's been fine. He's never had, you know, terrible games. But it got to the point where he was greenlit to come back in late September. And he could still get major league hitters out, you know, the best major league hitters out. But after three months on the shelf, you can't do it for six innings. So what did they do? They put him in the back end, and he's the one that got the uh, save. Well, I guess they were up 6-2, or six two, so they couldn't get the save on the first game. But he closed out the ninth inning both games in St. Louis, and that's kind of where he's at. He's still got the stuff. He can still be nasty. Um, you know, he's got no fear, and he can go in the back end. And, um, you know, I think that that might be somewhere where Strider could fit in, where he's not stretched out enough to give you five. So if you can't do that – why mess up the whole logic of how you want to manage the bullpen if maybe you could just slide him in for, you know, three to six big outs in the sixth, seventh, eighth, even ninth inning if you want to. What do you think, um, like, again, as a Phillies fan, like your sense of the fan base, who, what do they think of the Braves starting the, the top two starters, Freed and, and Kyle Wright? They've obviously had a lot of experience with Freed. Does he, like – strike fear into the Phillies fan base? Like, do they look at him like DeGrom or Scherzer? Um, you know, no offense or, to Freed, but I, I think it's more of just a national media scope when you hear way more about the other two, mm-hmm. then it's hard to be as intimidated, but the stats speak for themselves. I mean, the Braves have great arms and the Phillies have had to, to eat it a few times. I think 11 out of 19 this year. So they definitely know what they're up against, and the Phillies fans even know what they're up against. But, I I mean, I I think that you'd even agree that in terms of being gettable, Freed, I guess, is more gettable just in that he doesn't throw 102 every other pitch. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's not like he's throwing cookies up there either. No, of course not. But but I I do think that there's something to be said about – like that's why Strider is so vital, I think. And, And if they can use him out of the pen, that changes everything. Because then you can also, like, like let's say the Braves are up four in the fifth or sixth. You can go ahead and take Freed out in, in preparation for maybe having them game four or game five. Um, mm-hmm. And you don't have to do it. So, so that's, again, it comes back to, like, the close games is what kills you early in a series. Now, it's a short series, so it won't – I don't think it'll matter as much as if it was a seven-game series or best of seven. Uh, but, but still, I think, like – boy, the game one, just the way that it goes is so important. Not even like the win and loss, but just how a team would win or lose. Yeah. And you're preaching to the choir because up until this year, there weren't three game series. There were only the five and the seven. So you think that it gets, you know, to be butt pucker time in a five game series. Like it was already emergency in the first pitch in a three game series when uh, with the new rules, the Phillies were on the road and the road team the entire time. Like it was an emergency from first pitch of the first game. And, you know, the five game series doesn't do much to alleviate that. Uh, you know, you, you, you'll have a plan unless something goes terrible for either team in the first few innings, I would say uh, tomorrow, 
in game one, uh, you know, everybody will try to stick to their plan. But rest assured, whoever loses the first game, all the plans are out the window. It's whatever you can do to get the next game because you can't go down 0-2. How do you think Bryce Harper is going to be greeted uh, by the Atlanta fans game one and game two? And they'll be too busy doing their damn chop. Oh, butt puck yourself, Mike. <laughs> I mean, come on. Do you want me to play the heel or do you want me to be rational and logistic about Mike, it? Mike, I just want you to be yourself, guy. That's all. Just oh, be yourself. Well, you want me to be myself? Yeah, just be if yourself. If I were him, you know the, you know the, uh, you know the ovation that you're going to get anyways. So screw whatever's painted out in chalk on the dirt. I would go straight for the painted red A and back of the uh, home plate cutout in the grass and just drag my ass over that. Yeah, and Brian McCann will come out the press box and kick his ass. I know, yeah, yeah. 48-year-old Brian McCann will uh, get both his artificial hips down there and try to start a fight, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Self-appointed commissioner of all the Tolly in baseball, yeah. As long as Julio Tehran doesn't throw against Harper, the Braves have a shot. <laughs> I don't think Harper ever got out against Julio Tehran. All I know is that, uh, you know, Harper, he, he's he's totally embraced the heel role. You can't you can't deny. Oh, that. he loves it, yeah. And he's so good. Like like he's an asshole if he's not on your team, and he's easy to fucking hate. Like he's a very hate like easily hateable guy. But I, I think mean, he thrives in that. The, like he does that. You're talking to the easiest person in the world to give the two uh, standpoints on that, <laughs> having to root against him. <laughs> With the Nationals and now having to be the uh, the 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 cornerstone of the current team that I root for. <laughs> All right, let's um, right, let's wrap up, Mike. But I want to ask you one more question. Um, the Phillies, like, they're the Phillies fans going into the series. If the Phillies get swept, and let's just say that it's really bad, like the Braves sweep them and handle them all three games, do the Phillies yeah. fans still like this season has to be considered a success, right? From the way they yeah, started? Yeah, they got over the hump. Um, a sweep would be bad. It would be bitter. But, you know, no one's going anywhere. I think, uh, you know, Segura's gone. He's going to be a free agent. They're not going to renew him. But literally everybody else of consequence is going to be back next year. Yeah. And back in a good way, not back in a he's signed and he's going downhill way. Yeah. So, you know – this year was proof that they could do it after a few years of trying it. Um, you know, it's not quite what it was in the buildup to their run from 2007 to 2011. Well, obviously. But I, yeah. but I think that there are some similarities in that, you know, the last three, four years, they were a team that was built to compete, that they thought that could, could compete, that probably spent more money than they had to. Mm-hmm. And then it just faded every time in August and September and didn't get it done. And now they finally did and honestly did it in spaces where people thought they couldn't do it. Like they had to go to Houston and win a game to get into the playoffs and they did it and they did it with an absolute shutdown performance from Aaron Nola. But I I think it's got some similarities because going into that run from 2007 to 2011, the Phillies actually set a record for most consecutive years over 500 without making the playoffs. They had a winning record from 2001 to 2006 and somehow did not make a playoff. So obviously they haven't been as consistently good, but they've been as consistently ready for a few years, at least with the expectations. And now that they've finally gotten over the first hurdle, you know, I think that the uh, regardless of what happens in this series, everybody knows that they're going to be primed and ready to do more, you know, at least as much and hopefully more next year and the years to come. Yeah. And look, I'm not a Phillies fan far from it, but anyone but the Mets, I think it's so hilarious that they spent a hundred billion dollars and the Braves and Phillies are here further along in the postseason than the Mets. Yeah. Hilarious. I, mean, I could get into my thing that'll make everybody mad that's a Braves fan about that, but okay. Do you want to? Oh well, I mean, it's not even Braves fans. It's everybody. No, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do oh, it. Oh, you're not gonna do it? I'll save it. All right, save it. Um, all right. Well, let's touch base after the series. That might be next week. Um, but tell people how they can find you online. You can find me at the best Mike A at Twitter. 
Hell yeah. All right, that's it uh, for episode 136. We'll see you guys for episode 137. Until then, stay safe. Wash your hands, you filthy animals. Go Phils. Boo! Savannah's premier indoor baseball training facility, SBPA is owned and operated by Ross Howard, and together with instructors who have played college and professional baseball, Ross and SBPA offer customized instruction year-round for baseball and softball players, full-length batting cages, pitching mounds, and a state-of-the-art technology to measure improvement are just a few of the highlights over at the academy. Call Ross at 912-484-5282 and visit the Savannah Baseball Performance Academy on Facebook for programs, teams, camps, and more information about how to take advantage of this great venue. Savannah's only year-round indoor baseball facility, Ross Howard, our guy, give him a call, 912-484-5282. Commercial and residential electrical services that you can trust. Braddy Electric is Savannah's number one electrical services for commercial and residentials since 1970. It's family owned and family operated. Reach them today at 912-233-1561 or 1104 East 35th Street. Braddy Electric, that's two D's, B-R-A-D-D-Y. Five stars on Yelp, five stars on Google reviews, and Savannah's number one electrical servicer since 1970. Call them today, 912-233-1561.